What's Run Nation? If you weren't taking names at work or at school this week, it means you didn't listen. I told you about this last week. Brain.fm, music scientifically proven to increase focus. Just reading some bullet points here. Your most productive day on demand. You get a free trial for a week. I love it. I paid for this on my own. Then I reached out to them and said, can I promote this and let's run. So if you're struggling with focus, productivity, you need to try brain.fm. Use code let's run, L-E-T-S-R-U-N, lowercase, all lowercase, and you will save 20%. Everyone gets a free week trial. You got no excuse. For those of you super productive without it, congrats, you don't need it. Everyone else, give it a try. Link in the show notes. Welcome to the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. The 2024 USATF Indoor Championships are in the books. Noah Lyles has taken down Christian Coleman at 60 meters. Yara Deguse and Cole Hawker are heading to World Indoors as medal favorites. And Ellie St. Pierre, Nikki Hiltz, and Ali Wilson are all national champions. Elsewhere, Letiel Tobogo has broken a Wade Van Niekirk world record. Leonard Correa has tumbled three spots on the Road to Paris list and now sits 71st. 70th if you're going by the official rankings. We'll explain why there's a little divergence there. Mokatia has been banned two years for whereabouts failures. That's two-time world medalist Mokatia. He is out of the Paris Olympics. Plus, the great Henry Rono has died. Josh Carr is running world indoors. And we have an incredible question to discuss from the let's run.com message board this is a special let's run after dark we usually record these things in the morning or the afternoon it's currently 8 41 p.m eastern time as i set this up i don't know how many beers deep you guys are we're flying blind into this thing but robert's drinking some sort of green substance robert are you drinking absinthe on this show What, what is in that cup my man card will be lost if I admit to what it is, John. Appletini or uh, Midori? What is that? According to Google, it's a sweet, bright, green-colored liqueur made by Suntory, flavored with yubari and muskmelon. I hope it tastes delicious, Robert. It's a girly drink, but I'm surprised you don't drink it, John, because I learned about it from a great, from a great Dartmouth. Big green runner, the late Maribel Sanchez, and 1550 back in the day when that back when that was like 1450. Oh yeah, she's a Heps legend. No, um, terrific runner, Maribel. Gone too soon. Well, we're gonna have a great show. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Roberts got the Midori cracked. Weldon, have you been drowning your sorrows? Your your football team has replaced its manager. Roy Hodgson has been sacked. Though they they. Is that, are they framing this as some sort of mutual parting the ways thing in Crystal Palace? I mean, we all know he got sacked, right? Fake news, John. He voluntarily agreed to step down. Right after I went on the Crystal Palace forums, clearly I love forums and posts, and I was fine with him being the manager the rest of the season. But one of the soccer legends, we now have a 
one of the most famous managers in all of Europe coming to the club, so it's only upward. What? And tell me the guy's name right now. Without Googling, what's his guy. name? Glasner. He's famous. He what's John, his first name? Frankfurt? Glasner is the last name. I don't know German first names. I, everyone knows not very multi Yes, one of the most Why famous. You know first name? Yeah, yeah. One of the most famous managers in Europe who no one even knows his first name. It's Oliver, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I can't say I wish him success because I'm a Brighton supporter. But no one cares about our football teams. I mean, we kind of pretend that. There are a lot of people in England, but not that many people who listen to the podcast care about it. Let's talk about running. I don't know about you guys. The thing that excites me roast right now Josh Kerr is running World Indoors. He, we had the announcement of the British team on Monday, and Josh Kerr was on it in the 3,000 meters, and that sets up what I think is going to be one of the races of the championship. Josh Kerr, the reigning world champion in the 1500, on home soil in Scotland against Yari Nagus, the American record holder who is in fine form after winning the Milrose mile title in 347 against Selimon Borrega, the reigning champion from Ethiopia, a sick kick, and the Olympic 10,000-meter gold medalist. All those guys are racing against each other in a straight final, March 2nd, in Glasgow. Get your tickets. I'm pumped for this. This is one of the races of the indoor season. Totally agree, John. What, what about Gurma? Is he even on the team? I reached out to his agent today. He is not running World Indoors, the world record holder, Lamecha Gurma. So he will not get the chance to earn another silver medal and add to his collection. Because I think he's only the third fastest Ethiopian. So this is what the sport needs. Epic matchups. And there's going to be tactics involved because that's three really good guys. I'm not sure who the fourth Ethiopian is going to be, but they're all really good this year. So, Well, Gennet Wale is also going to run. And then he, he ran 7.24 last year. Hasn't gone quite as fast this year. And they will get a third spot, presumably because of the wild card on the World Athletics Indoor Tour. Maybe the teen sensation, 17-year-old Biniam Mahari. He currently sits third on the Ethiopian list, 733-04. I think that's who it's going to be, Robert. So we could have... He he's a wild card, you know. He get, he's going to step up and he's going to be facing some of the greats of the sport. So, assuming he gets named to the team, it's going to be fantastic. It's one of those things that you can build a championship around that race. The home favorite taking on real legit com- competition. One of the few things that could have made this better is if Jakob Ingebrigtsen was healthy and running. Like, could you imagine adding him to this race? But it's terrific. You know, I'm already starting to think. I'm like. We know Kerr is really strong. He, I'm sure he, he trusts his kick. He's the 1,500-meter world champion, but then Nagus can kick really well, and I know Borrega can kick off a fast pace. We saw him do it in Belgrade two years ago. It's just so many permutations. I think it's, it's fantastic. It's just great news. We need, to, we need to praise athletes when they make this decision. Maybe it's not a hard decision to run a world indoors and home soil, but... You know, Jake Whiteman isn't doing it, what have you. Um, and the powers that be need to somehow – this one, there, was, there wasn't a question of incentives, but always incentivize athletes to do these things. Grant Fisher isn't running because he has to go chase a 10K time. The sport should not be set up that way. 
A simple rule. You're a finalist at World Indoors, automatic buy to whatever event you want at Worlds. I mean, like, just make simple things. We need athletes competing at this, running a, instead of running a time trial in California that no one cares about. But one little step at a time. Thank you, Josh Kerr. Speaking of one step at a time, I've been sending WhatsApp messages to my secret contacts at World Athletics today about extending the quota reallocation thing to all events. You know how they did in the marathon? Like basically the events went to the country, not to the individuals. And then if you had a trials, the top finishers could take those spots. I really think that that should occur in all events. I mean, you had a case this, this, at the, an impact of two races this weekend. You had the, probably would have had Cole Hawker in the 3000 USA's against Nagu. So he would have had an amazing matchup there. But then once Hawker realizes that he can't go to Worlds in that event, he just scratches out. And then at the British trials, there was a great 1500. UK Athletics sent out a tweet and called it a famous win for Piers Copeland, who used an inside pass at the line. Guy was third coming off the final turn. Waits for the inside to open up. He's a 145-800 guy. Surprises these two guys have been battling it out together. Takes the win, has time to shh the crowd. It was amazing. But you know, he, did, he can't go to Worlds because he doesn't have the standard. I'm like, well, the two guys who go finish second and third have the standard? Like, to me, he should have taken their spot right away. Just that's it. So track and fields, I always say we don't need more meets. We need more meets that matter. In looking at this 3,000, John, how do you handicap it? Who would be your betting favorite if you were the odds makers? It can't be Nagus because, I mean, he lost to Kerr in the 1,500. Kerr is a better 800-meter PB. He just ran the two-mile world record. So is it Kerr or is it Borrega? I mean, I I think of Borrega as an absolute stud because he's the Olympic goddamn champion. But admittedly, 10,000 is a long way away from 3,000, particularly a tactical 3,000 without rabbits. So is Kerr the favorite? I think Kerr has to be the favorite. He's the 1,500 world champion. And I think because of that, the onus is going to be on someone like Borrega who's dropping down to kind of force the pace a little fast but the thing is we just saw josh kerr run eight flat for two miles which is you know about 724 or so for 3000 so what kind of pace are you going to force to drop him that said borrega does have a good change of gears and the way you handicap it yeah robert i mean nagus beat kerr twice on the circuit last year and you can say okay kerr only peaks for like one meet a year and you know Nagus is at a higher level the rest of the season, but Nagus outkicked Josh Kerr in Zurich the last time they raced. He beat him uh, fairly convincingly in Oslo. Obviously, he lost to him in the most important race of the year in the World Championship final. But the idea that, like, oh, Josh Kerr is totally untouchable by Yared Nagus, we ranked Yared Nagus higher in the 1500 last year um, in our world rankings. So that said, I'm putting Kerr one. Brager and Nagus, I, I, I'm trying to think. I might even put Brager a little ahead of Nagus, but I think they're pretty even. But I, I think Kerr has to be the favorite. I'll tell you what. If I'm coaching Brager, 
I'm certainly not telling him to push the pace from the gun. That's suicide to me. Because you're not breaking these guys. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right on that. But, yeah. Oh, if you, if you just sit and kick, you know, it, it's it's you're done for. But if that 17 year old Ethiopian's in there, I'm telling him to set the pace, giving him five grand. Or it kind of reminds me, to be honest, of the men's 10,000. I was watching this video today. I put it in the week that was. By the way, John and I wrote a great week that was. The written version of this podcast. It's up on the website, as is a great guest column. Highly recommended read. This We had a guest, theletsrun.com, just submitted an essay called The Unfinished Marathon, What We Have Lost with Calvin Kipton's Tragic Death, Andy Hart. I just read that this piece this afternoon. You guys had edited it. It's unreal. It's amazing. It's talking about what fans have lost out on. Immediately, his family's lost out on more, but it paid respect to the family. But it, it was amazing. It put... You know, what we actually could have been expecting from Kipton in perspective. Great piece. But in writing the week that was today, I was looking back at 2000, Turgot versus Gebra Selassie. And I was trying to figure out which video to link to. And the best one by far, and Aussies, I apologize because I looked up the guy's name today and I've already forgotten it. The announcer who does the, who did the 2000 Olympic Games, he's a famous announcer for Australia, TV broadcaster. He's just unreal. He's so good. I wish he did our Olympics. But, like, with a lap to go, like, people thought Turgot had to push the pace. And they're like, what's Turgot doing? He's not pushing the pace. And he decided just to let it roll. And I know that he lost. But 50 meters from the finish, people thought, you know what? Turgot's going to win it by just outkicking Gap. He's fitter now. He's faster. He's a little bit, I don't know if he's younger. But he's doing it. But Gab came back and got him. So... You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't. Yeah, it's going to be really hard to beat these guys. The more I think about it, though, I was reading what happened to Lost World indoors and reading our coverage. Borrega just went to the front with three to go, and he pulled the Mo Farah and said, no one's going to pass me, and then he closed in 26-0. That's a pretty good strategy. If I was him, I'd pretty much just roll that back, roll that back. Get to the front, start dropping the pace, and then if you can close in 26-0, it's going to be, say, hey, I dare you to close in 25-8 and try to pass me at some point in that last lap. So I think that's a pretty good game plan. Right, 25-8 on a final 200 where you would have to run one, if not two turns in lane two, most likely to do it. So you're going to have to run like 210 meters. Yeah. So you got to run. You got to close in 25 flat. Anyway, I mean, that's assuming Borega can still close in a 26-0 or whatever, but he's run 725 this year. He's looked pretty good. So we can talk about that race more as the world championships get closer, but I'm really excited for it. But, but Jimmy Ricci's going to be there in the women's age. She's looking good. Is she Scottish, John? I don't think she is. She is Scottish. She has a very, yeah, she is probably the thickest Scottish accent, actually, of any of these uh, top athletes. And I'm excited. Well, done. I don't think you, you were on the Friday podcast, but I'm stunned. Like John's never been to Scotland. We're going to take the city boy out to the country. Probably pet some uh, sheep and stuff, John. I'm, I'm not sure what they have there. Do, Glasgow is a city. You know that, right? It's the biggest city in Scotland. Is that Wales, John? I'm just trying to figure out. They have a lot of sheep in Wales. I mean, it's not. Yeah. I'm actually supportive of these countries. That, to, to, to be honest, I would say, John, you're kind of like from London. I'm not where you're sure you're from. But John is like the, the classic liberal that looks down upon like the country folk. 
from Wales or Scotland or wherever it is. John's the look on his face is trying to deny. I'm it, English. But, you know. We've had long-standing sporting rivalries with these other countries, and you know, rugby and in football. Well, actually, football we kind of just dominate them, but rugby we play them every year. I, John, I had to feel great guilt when I went to school up east. Being from the South, my mom said, you're with those Yankees. I said, Mom, please don't refer- use that term. I don't think it's PC. This was 1996. Anyways, before I get canceled, let's move back to running. It should be a great world indoors. It's next weekend. I will be there with Jonathan Gold. We've got the two biggest indoor meets in the world the next two weekends. So we've got the HEPs at Harvard, uh, which I'll be at, and then we've got the world indoors in Glasgow. So looking forward to that. Should we touch briefly on USA Indoors? That happened last weekend in Albuquerque. We did a live Friday 15, which is actually a, like more like a Saturday 60, but Robert and I broke down all the action. Uh, really enjoyed some of, you know, some of the races were really great. Like, I enjoyed Cole Hawker just putting on a masterclass in the 1500. I thought the women's 800 was... Very compelling. I was surprised to see Allie Wilson win that race. And then the men's 60 completely lived up to the hype with Noah Lyles taking down Christian Coleman. And I guess, we, Robert, let's just start. I want to check in a weekly segment, or maybe not weekly, but every so often, is going to be checking in on you and how worried you are that Noah Lyles is going to prove you wrong and win an Olympic gold medal this summer. And there's reason to be excited, and there's reasons to be disappointed, to be scared. The reason to be scared is Noah Lyles just beat the world record holder in the 60 meters. He ran 6.43, world leader, to win the U.S. title in Albuquerque in the 60, and you know he's heading to world indoors and might be the favorite at this point. That's the reason to be scared. The reason to be excited for you is your savior, your Botswana savior, Let's Seal Tobogo, Earlier that day in South Africa, ran a world record, I think it's officially a world best, over 300 meters at of 30.69. So he's in really good shape as well, and we'll be try- fighting to defend your honor. So on the scale, 1 to 10, 10 is like you're totally freaked out, 1 is you're not worried at all. How concerned are you that Noah Lyles is going to win the gold medal this summer? What was my number last week? I feel like he might have been a... Was he a six, Weldon? Do you remember this? This was after he ran a big PB in Boston in the 60. Maybe it was lower than that. I don't know. We're still, we're still six I months thought, out. I, I think I said a six. It should have been an eight last week. You think it would go up? Because, I mean, in this 60, I was watching it live, and I was just like, oh, Lyles has got it. Like 45 meters in, you could taste clothes is so sick. And I'm just in my head, like, planning out another 40 meters. But look, Coleman hasn't been winning medals. But I think it's a little bit less because it's clear to me Noah Lyles is in the form of his life, particularly at 100 meters. So my only hope, or not hope, it's, it's kind of, I feel bad rooting against an American, but look, when I said that Noah Lyles was never going to win an Olympic gold medal, it wasn't because I didn't think that he wasn't a good runner. It just was, I thought this guy was past his peak. And we had two, at the time, team phenoms who had lanky body types that remind me of Usain Bolt coming up into the ranks. And they would be in their prime in 2024. 
just entering it, and then really in 2028 and 2032. And those two phenoms still are on the come. And Tobogo is doing amazing. What's crazy is he was, I mean, he's the only human being I've ever seen close a Noel Lyles on the end of a 200. That happened in the London Diamond League last year. Now, Worlds wasn't close. I think he was like over two tenths of a second behind, but he's only five hundredths of a second back in the 100. So I'm not sure why he's working on the 300. Maybe it's a strength work right now. Because as a junior, I thought, I thought Tobogo was way better at the 100 than the 200. But now he's working on his 300. Maybe he's better at the 200 now. I don't know. He was closer to Lyles than the 100. So, you know, that's still the case. What I think has changed for me, though, is it's clear to me when I when, when I came to this epiphany that no, you know, no Lyles missed his chance. COVID cost him 2020 when he clearly would have won the 200. Is 2021 was an aberration. It wasn't the beginning of the decline of Noah Lyles. It wasn't that he's past his peak. I think he was past his peak because Big Pharma got to him and he was on these antidepressants. And, he was on, and I think that messed him up. Like, it, or maybe it could have been the fact that there was no fans. He's a guy that thrives on attention. But I, I really do think it was the medicine that he was on. He was depressed and he tried to counteract that with these drugs. And I don't think it helped him. It certainly didn't help his performance because like, I've got these stats in the week that was, but in 2021, Noah Lyles only ran 676. He was ranked in the 60. He was ranked 250th in the world in that. His other years as a pro, I mean, it was 2018. He was ranked 24th. He ran 657. 22, 2022, 2022, around 655 and 651, now 643. So he was two tenths of a second behind what he was normally doing. And if you look at what he was doing, even in the 200 that year, heading into USA's, he had only run 19.90. Like, that's not good for him. This year, heading into USA's, he'd only broken 21 time in, in 2021. This year, he's run 19.67, 1983, 1947. You know, 2022, heading into USA's, he's run... 1986, 1972, 1961. Okay, Robert, we get the point. Anyone who watched the last two world championships knows that Noah Lyles didn't suddenly fall off a cliff in 2021. He's been better than ever the last two years. The the one thing I want to say, you've gone on like a three or four minute tangent at this point. You still haven't actually answered my question. Can you give me a number? Where is the Rojo panic meter at? The former coach is never good to panic. I openly admit Lyles would be the betting favorite, 100 and 200 right now. I'm going to say 6.9 right now. Okay. Keeping it just under seven. All right. All right. So even if it's higher than last week, you're saying really it should be lower because, you you know, you miscalculated. Yeah. Okay. And kind of my my only hope is Lyles is off his game and gets hurt or Tobogo or or Knighton is really, really good. And this is a good sign to me that Tobogo's – Knighton did run an indoor race, which he's never done before. And Tobogo's training. You know, I'm just worried, like, uh, does this coach in South Africa or or where he is know what he's doing? Like, who has this guy coached before? This guy just meddled in two events last year at the age of 19, like, or sorry, the age of 20. You know, you're acting as if he doesn't train in February of an Olympic year. This isn't like, he has a coach. It's not like, you know, he's, I, I think you're kind of underrating his setup that got him to where he was last year. Actually, bump that down to 6.8 because 
when we had Michael Johnson, the great, one of the greatest sprinters in history on the podcast last year, somehow it came up and I said, not Lyle, I predicted the Lyles would never win an Olympic gold medal. And he seemed like incredulous, like this was the dumbest thing ever. But after Tobogo's world record, MJ Gold goes to X and, t- and writes out, there's always talk of who's the next great one in track. The hype and promise usually fizzles, but Lucille Tobogo is one of the rare ones I might bet on. So th- there can't be two phenoms that sweep the 100 and 200 at the Olympics this year. Right? Well, it's almost statistically impossible, but with the way they're handing out those dual high jump and pole vault gold medals, maybe they'll do another Allison Felix Tarbo dead heat, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to tie for the gold medal. How amazing would that be? Could you imagine the outrage and the hot takes if two guys were just given a dead heat in the Olympic hundred meter final? They they would have to do a runoff. I would, I, you know, I understand the sharing stuff in the field events and stuff. The entire sport would need to raise up. Robert would go on like a hunger strike outside the Olympic stadium demanding a runoff. And I think I'd support him. Honestly, we would need it. We would need that. Well, I, I might be for it after after the Olympics with like $10 million on the line just for the, the, the pomp and circumstances. Kind of like the Usain Bolt. I mean, it's kind of like the uh, Michael Johnson, uh, Donovan Bailey, 150-meter race. Because if they actually – that would be different to me. I, I can understand it's somewhat of a tie there because they actually tied. Although you could say that they, it's just an extra race, like an extra jump. Yeah, I would be outraged actually the more I think about it. You have okay. overtime. All right. Weldon's been sitting on the sidelines, so I want to get him in the game here for a second. But one last point on this Michael Johnson thing. I think it's pretty interesting. Do you know that before Wade Van Niekirk held this world record in the 300 meters, it was held by Michael Johnson. And he said it in Pretoria, South Africa, which is the same place where Letzil Tobogo said it. And he said it on March 24th, 2000. And do you know how Michael Johnson ended the 2000 track season? He won an Olympic gold medal in Sydney, Australia. So I'm taking that as a good omen for Letzil Tobogo and his Olympic chances this year. But obviously, Noah Lawson is in great form as well. Well, I mean, the only three guys that have, the only four people that have ever, the only three people that have ever broken 31 seconds for 300 before this weekend Wade Van Nieker, Michael Johnson, Usain Bolt all world record holders and gold medal, Olympic gold medalists. So yeah, yeah, I guess I should be pretty pumped by that, but just, it's, it's hard to see. Th- that's what's great. It's hard to see Noah Lyles losing, but one of these guys is going to lose. Yeah. Some great athletes are going to get beaten at the Olympics. That's what makes them amazing. All right. Another big thing coming out of USA indoors. I talked to Robert about this. We shared our thoughts on the 1500 Cole Hawker. I thought he ran a brilliant race, tactically very savvy. He made, a very smart move with three laps to go, taking the lead on the inside. And from there, just totally dominated over the last three laps. One by over a second. Just looked absolutely fantastic. Everything you'd want to see from the guy. And my takeaway with Robert after this one was, this guy could win the World Indoor Championships. I mean, a lot of the big dogs are stepping up in the 1500, sorry, in the 3000. This is some like you've got Samuel Tafera in there. I think Jordy Beamish is in there, but and we know how good Tafera is in the fifteen hundred uh, world indoors. But Weldon is Cole Hawker 
he's got a better chance at winning gold than Yari Nagus in this meet. You'd agree with that, right? And is he the favorite in the 1500? I think he's the favorite. <laughs> I mean, this race was impressive to me. He destroyed them. He's run fast in the past. I mean, what? Indoors? Like, Teferis run faster, obviously, indoors, but doesn't have... I mean, somehow that guy always wins indoors and doesn't win anything else. But who else am I supposed to be worried about, John? I think Azadine Habs, who's a 329 guy from France, is going to be running. Jody Beamish does have a big kick, and Cole Hawker only bet, like he's he's kind of the dark horse in this field because he's he's got wheels at the end of a race. And if you remember Milrose, Cole Hawker did outkick Jordy Beamish, but only a little by a little bit, and only because well, it didn't help Jordy Beamish that he miscounted the laps and actually kicked with two to go instead of one to go. So I'm just saying if he's like on my shoulder at the bell, I'm not feeling great, even if I'm a really strong kicker, which Cole Hawker is. So I, I think he's a guy who could kind of get in there and mess things up for Hawker. I've been really impressed at Jordy Beamish of late. I think I'll probably medal at the Worlds in the steeplechase. I mean, like, has a decent, maybe a 50% chance at this rate. I mean, he's running really well. No. He's not going to be Cole Hawker at the 1500. I'm, I mean, his pre- kick is getting really good. But wh- what's Jordy Beamish done in the mile, John? NCAA mile champion in a slow tactical race, 2019. Please. That's not World Indoor champ. That's not the same as winning World Indoors. His kicking off the pace, getting dropped and kicking off the pace does not win you anything. He's going to have to kick from on being on the pace. Now, the pace not, may not be that fast at Worlds, which could help him, but there's no room for error if you want to win a world championship. I'm sorry. I just don't see it happening. He puts himself in bad shape or gets dropped. Being up front, being in good position, kicking off that is very different from getting dropped and kicking and showing some amazing kick that somehow keeps getting better and better. But look at what um, Hobbs Kessler did. Been running great. I don't think he has the kick that these two guys have. But he was just sort of like thrown out the back, bad positioning, kicks okay at the end, gets second. There's no room for error. Cole Hawker's got better tactics. He's got a better 1,500-meter PB. You can't argue with Jordy Beamish's kick, but I think that's only like one-third of the equation. Beamish will be kicking for a medal. Hawker will be kicking for the win. Let's run friend David Woods, former of the Indy Star, was in Albuquerque, actually writing for the Indy Star on a freelance basis. He was obviously impressed by Hawker. I mean, he had a great quote. We put out his quote of the day. It's like, rarely do you have a race go almost exactly according to plan. This was like exactly what I envisioned and perfection. But David reminded me, it's not every day that you see somebody win a 1500 at any level by more than a second. Texted me this. This is as nerdy as it gets. In 30 global 1500 finals in the 2000, only once has the winning margin exceeded 0.79 of a second. In 20 races, the margin was 0.3 or less. That's why Hawker winning by 1.25 seconds is rare. I know it's nationals, but 
but the point about championship 1500 meters remains. It's true. I, I mean, I looked it up. Like Jakob was dominant in the circuit, right? Last year, he only won one race by more than a second, I think, 1500 a mile. It was the Poland race. He won by like two seconds. With other races, you know, it's like three quarters of a second here, half a second there. And it's, it's like not in doubt. So I was thinking about this. I was like, we didn't really say this on the Friday 15. He beat a guy who just ran a 348 mile by a second and a quarter. Is that because Hawker's so good or because Hobbs Kessler didn't run a great race? I, I would probably say it's a combination of the two, to be honest. But this just reminded me of how good Hawker is. He was, he's better. John and I talked about it on, on Saturday. As good as Kessler is, Hawker's better at that same age. Hawker was sixth in the Olympics at 20. Kessler's turning 21 in a month. So he was faster. He ran 331 in the Olympics, John? Yep. Kessler ran 333 last year, right? Yeah, look, Hobbs Kessler, I'm thinking about it this way. Cole Hawker beat him by 1.25 seconds, which, as you said, really impressive. But also, Hobbs Kessler was only five hundredths ahead of Henry Wynn. And I think Hobbs Kessler right now is much more than five hundredths fitter than Henry Wynn. He didn't do himself any favors in this race. He was shuffling around, trying to, you know, he's making half moves and not really getting, making that much progress, kind of wasting energy. I also do think Hobbs Kessler, this was his third weekend in a row of racing. And I know last year, like he ran a really good race at BU in the 3K, and then he comes back a week later at BU, sorry, at the New Balance meet, and just gets blasted. And what, I think part of that was, you know, racing back to back. So he just had two great races in a row New Balance and then Milrose, and coming to altitude in Albuquerque, plus he didn't run a great tactical race. Yeah, you know, a few things went into it. I think. As I said on Saturday, this was a good thing for whole co- for for Hobbs Kessler. He gets the experience of running in a championship race. He gets to work on his positioning. He realizes you'll get punished at the highest levels for these sort of mistakes. But it's something he didn't get to do because he skipped college. And I don't blame him for taking the money from Adidas. Makes sense. And he's continued to progress as an athlete. But... The Olympic Games, they run that after a prelims and a semi and a final. And the Olympic trials, same thing, prelims, semifinal. To be executing in those races, you kind of have to have some of the reps. And the fact that he still made the team, even though he didn't run a tactically perfect race, that that's, that's good. And now he gets another opportunity to improve in Glasgow. And that's going to prepare him for this summer. So I think overall, a learning experience for Hobbs Kessler, but a needed one. And he's 20 and he's going to World Indoors. So pretty good thing to do before your 21st birthday. But it was enjoyable USA Indoors, Hurdle World Records, Coleman versus Lyles, 1,500 3Ks. St. Pierre and Hiltz were both impressive. Emily Mackay. You remembered, Robert. Good job. Eddie Wiley makes her first team, etc. St. Pierre, I think, medal, you know, St. Pierre medaled last time. I think she could medal again. Bryce Hopple and Isaiah Harris, we said, possible medal chances in the 800. Nia Aikens, 
did not run well. That was kind of the, one of the surprises was she just didn't show any urgency in moving up until like the final turn when she was in fifth. And then she just left herself too much work to do. But afterwards, you know, and she had this Instagram post kind of explaining one, you know, she lost her shoe halfway through the prelim. So she was running with one shoe. But then she also said, in a week, we went from the ER to qualifying for the finals with one shoe to third at USA. So I don't know why she had to go to the ER, but sounded like she was kind of a little bit sick that week as well. So um, maybe that went into her poor race in the final. But that was one of the surprises to me because this is a woman who was the U.S. indoor champ, U.S. outdoor champ, sixth at Worlds, 157 last year. Like she should be beating Addie Wilson, Allie Wilson uh, to win this race if she's at full strength. I agree. But I already gave her a get-out-of-jail-free card because she ran the prelims with one shoe. So I, I figured... I didn't know about the ER visit, but I'm like, that might have impacted her shoe. We don't know how it is. We'll have to wait till outdoors. All right. At the beginning of the show, you talked about people leaving us too soon. That's why I'm dressed in all black, John. Morning. And also, folks, Cornell DMR record. And it stood for 15 years. John was just barely broken by 10 plus seconds in Notre Dame. So congrats to the boys from Cornell for beating our record. But on a more serious note, we only have two posters up here in the mid-Atlantic. Let's run.com offices. One of them is a poster. Let's run poster from 2001 New York City Marathon. Right after 9-11. Red, white, and blue. Designed by famed painter. Jason Bourbet, it's American flag. It has a picture of Weldon and me in it. It's pretty cool. But the only pro runner, or I guess Weldon was a pro, but the only, only Olympian on the wall permanently in Let's Run headquarters is a man by the name of Henry Rono. I Olympian? guess he wasn't an Olympian either. Yeah. The only NCAA champion, world record holder on the wall is Henry Rono. We have a framed autographed copy of him over my left shoulder. And he died last week at the age of 72. He's native of Kenya. You know, Henry was before my time. I kind of want to know like how, why we have him up on the wall. I, I kind of feel like he was like a link between the olden days and the professional days. You know, he ran for Nike and had ties like that. Didn't you put that poster on the wall? This is your office, right, Robert? Yeah, but Weldon got it in Flagstaff somehow. Weldon, do you remember the backstory behind this signed photograph? We bought it signed. It was already signed. No, I don't. This is one of the legends of the sport, John. I mean, also, it sort of shows, though, you don't know anything sort of like 20 years before your time. Because I'm shocked. Brian Fulham, but I address to many. If you've got a running injury, especially if you're in Florida, you need someone to check it out. Check out Brian Fulham. He's in the Tampa area. People fly all over to see him. Brian's 10 years older than me. And maybe he told me this story, but I've forgotten it. 
But with his death, he posted how Henry Rono lived at his parents' house for a couple of weeks. And I just was like, what? And this was like, you could look up the years. I think it was, or do you know the year? 83, I believe. But I didn't realize, like, like Rono was making comeback attempts then. In 83, Rono would have been, what, 31 years old? And, I mean, you heard the, a couple legendary things about Rono. One was the, the talent. Just the, I mean, he set three world records in 1978 in the 3,000 meter steeplechase up to 10K. I mean, you're, you're changing him. Four world records 3K, 5K, 10K, and steeple, all in the span of 81 days. It's one of the most legendary achievements in the history of distance running. I mean, it's just that that's unbelievable range. And he's like crushing these records. Two of those records stood for 10 years after he broke them. This is like, so this is like Lamecha Gurma going out and just running a, you know, a tri meet at Cal. You know, he's in the NCAA. Now he's 26 years old when he's doing this stuff, but it's basically like if you put Lamecha Gurma in college and had him just running against nobodies and he's still running world records. And then he goes to Europe and runs against pros. Yes, you heard about the running. And then the other thing you would hear, sadly, was about the drinking. Um, I mean, that's what he struggled with. Uh, but in 1981, he also broke the world record. And like, I almost thought this, like, some of the stuff about Rono almost seems like, like a fairy tale. Like, oh, he was so drunk early in the season, he was getting lapped in a 5K, and he breaks the 5K world record that year. And people swear he woke up that morning. Drunk as could be, ran 10 miles before the race, you know, to sweat it off. And then that evening broke the world record. I mean, just the stories are just like so legendary. The talent, it's just a shame that that guy never got to compete at an Olympics. Yeah. When he was in his prime, 76 and 80, they're Kenya boycotted at both Olympics. But, well, you're right. He's like the Paul Bunyan or the Bill Brasky of running. There's just these tall tales that. One of the famous races was against Alberto Salazar in 1982, and Salazar was going for the, I think he was going for the 10,000 world record, or he had, and he was essentially acting as this as a race director and inviting all the people who had beaten him recently to show up in Eugene so they could lose to him in a 10k. And Henry Rono's like, "All right, I'll do it." And the rumor was that Rono was overweight and that he was drinking the night before, and he wait, or something like that. And I don't know how much of this is true. What is true is that he showed up to this race in Eugene and, before you know, a generation before Chris Selinski spoiled Galen Rupp's American record party, Henry Rono went to Haywood Field and spoiled Alberto Salazar's party because he outkicked him in just a fantastic 10,000-meter race. So some of this, st- like, the stuff he did on the track, we know that's all true. The stuff he did beforehand, or I don't know, maybe it got exaggerated over the years, but that's why he is an all-time legend. Look, I, that's not made up. I mean, there's a picture of the finish line. He looks fat. He's got a beer gut, and he still outleans his hell as over in 27.30. But we kind of started with the drinking aspect, but some of these stories are wild, too. Like, I shouldn't be playing it up, but he again, he's living with our friends. He ran Bowermaker in 83, just lives up there couch surfing with his parents. And I said, well, was he drinking a lot? And he said, my dad, my parents didn't drink much, so there was nothing from a drink in the house. But he says, 
Henry had a Kenyan Olympic sport coat from 1980, the year they boycotted. They had an article in the paper about him, and he would go to the local bars wearing the red sport coat, and all the locals would buy him drinks. And he did that for several weeks, if not months, and then finally Brian's dad had to kick him out of the house. But I think it was later that summer, he sold his plane ticket in Europe for some cash, gets on the plane. Back then, they would let you fly on a plane without having paid for it, lands in Syracuse, and then the airline calls up Mrs. Fallon, Brian's mother, and says, you need to come pay for Henry Rono's ticket. So she liked him so much, she did pay for it. So he, I do think that, like, despite his struggles with the alcohol, he seems like a nice guy. I never met him. But this was a guy that was posting. I was thinking about this. He was post. There's a 180 thread when he was trying to make a comeback in like 2002. He's posting on this Henry Rono World Masters record thread, 186 pages, and Henry Rono's just posting on it again because he was like 10, 15 years before Weldon's time. We didn't appreciate it. This should be like Geb or Bekele posting on the damn Let's Run forum regularly about his comeback and how he's going to try to run this fast mile. So I think he kind of had a neat personality. Now, obviously, I don't know what his Sounds like part of his family was totally separated from him. I imagine his wife and kids who were basically in Kenya without him for all these years were very upset about things. But I kind of thought it was good that he, he at least got to go home and die in his homeland. Hopefully he patched some things up with them. But I probably should have started this in the opposite direction. I mean, up on this poster, you know, it's got the four world records. 1308.4 in a tri-meet. 805.4 in a dual meet. 732.1, 3,000 that lasted 10 years, and 2722. You know, and John Kellogg says that the, the 3,000 flat record was, was like mind blowing back then because you were either viewed as a long distance guy or as a short distance guy. And they couldn't believe that a 10,000 guy could run a three, flat 3,000 that fast. But I was just like, obviously, he was like the best distance runner in the world at the time. He was in NCAA and he was overage. But I was trying to think like, and John Kellogg and I often talk about like when these times, like I, I, I've adjusted to the shoes and you know, fast times are fast times, but it bothers an old timer like John Kellogg. He's like, these times don't mean anything to me, but every once in a while when we're discussing it, we try to put it in perspective and we'll sort of say like, this is, you know, what, 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 what do you think Rona would run nowadays? And that's the question I have to you guys. If you put Henry, Rona, uh, excuse me. This is a better way to think of it for me. Nico Young just ran the collegiate record, 1258. Put him back in the tri-made Cal. Henry's shoes, Henry's track, no rabbits, middle of the day. I presume it's presume the middle of the day. What do you think he runs? I have my answer. I'd say high 1320s, maybe 1330. Maybe that's a little, wait, he ran 12.57 at BU, so is that worth 33 seconds? That's a little, I'd say like 13.25 maybe. But the way I think of it is, like Henry Rono was the best distance runner in the world when he ran that, right? The best distance runner in the world right now can run a 5K in about 12, high 12.30s, low, you know, 12.35 is the world record, and the guy is currently active. So I would say Rono... Maybe if you just say each generation, the top guy is a few seconds faster. Maybe he's five seconds off that. Maybe he's like 1240, low 1240s. But yeah, he's like 
it's probably 17 seconds faster than oh, okay. Nico Young. What about you, Weldon? Don't even spare me with this thought experiment. Henry Rona would smoke Nico Young. Come on. That's not the debate. We're saying how much would he beat him by? I think we're all in agreement he would smoke him. I'd, I'd, say, about, I'd say about 17 seconds. Would Nico Young run back run right now back in the day with no super shoes and a dual meet? 5K, but he's trying to break a world record? I mean, like, yeah. 13-18. Okay. I thought you guys were going to be stunned when I said, you know, I think Nico would have a hard time breaking 13-20. And I was trying to think, like, okay, like, when did Adam Goucher run back in the day? I mean, Adam Goucher was a high school national champion, multi two-time, right? Or just no, one? just once. NCAA champion across. His lifetime PB is 13-10. Now, he didn't live up to the pro career track times he should have run. But I was like, Goucher couldn't break 13-20s. I, I think Nico is a good grinder. I, I think he could – I was going to say 13-20. He'd have a hard time breaking 13-20. Now, right now with the shoes that he has, do I think Nico could break 13-20 by himself? Yes, I do because he's a good grinder. But, I mean – I thought you guys were going to be stunned by me saying thirteen twenty. Well, it's but not just the shoes. The, the way I view it is the, the shoe. The shoes are worth ten seconds for a five thousand, and then a rabbit is worth you know. John always says a second a lap, so that's twenty two seconds. And twelve fifty seven plus twenty two is thirteen twenty. Yeah, he he had perfect situation. He, he's being rabbited and got competition at BU, and it's a super fast track, and it's perfect conditions because you don't have to worry about the weather. That's part of it too. It's not just saying super shoes it's saying the place to run the fastest if you're a 1257 guy like nico the best possible place to run that is bu if you're in really good shape with the situation he had so it's basically a perfect situation the other thing with neat with henry i mean sort of is like paul bunyan or something but he reminded me he was the first one to show me that these superstars are human they're God's gift in one thing, but they're very human. I think we saw that with Henry. And I first saw it. It was almost like the guy Sugarman, you know, like singer no one had heard of, and they you know, eventually found him and stuff. But they're like, wait, this guy's a bell a bell cap at the Albuquerque airport and he's posting on Let's Run or something. It's just like, what? And then even now I didn't realize like he was homeless a couple of times. There's a, there's an we'll link to this thread. There's a post by you know Let's Run poster HRE, kind of the same time as around Brian Fulham. Um, Henry lived at his house, you know that sort of thing. And I don't know. I, I just get the impression from all of them that sort of Henry was a kind soul. And HRE says in this post. I've come to think of him as a kind of a character from a Greek tragedy. He was so gifted and so tough in a race, maybe more than anyone else, certainly more than all, but a very, very tiny number. But I think at heart, he was just a farm kid from the Kenyan boonies and the life he lived there did not prepare him at all for the life his gift brought him to. And absolutely not for people who wanted to use him for their own ends. He surely had his, had his flaws, but we all do. Mostly ours don't get played out in public view like his sometimes did. I've gone back and forth trying to decide if his running talent was a blessing or a curse for him. 
I think it's a blessing. I mean, if God gives you a gift like that and, and you can, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm inspired. I never met the guy. There's a poster hanging in, behind Robert. He inspired, you know, generations, whether you realize it or not. So thank you, Henry. RIP, man. Here's the one thing I want to know, the legend, the unanswered question, but I think someone can answer it. Henry Rono came one of the closest of anyone to winning four NCAA cross-country titles. No, no man has ever done it. No woman's ever done it. He won in 76, 77, and 79. 1978, Madison, Wisconsin. He, it's cold. There's snow on the course. And he took a wrong turn. He ran off course at some point. And some people on the message board said, oh, he would have won that if he didn't make that turn. And other people are saying, no, the cold got to him and he would have, you know, he was just never going to succeed in the conditions. And I've talked to John Anderson, the ESPN anchor, Wisconsin native. He was at that race as a boy. I think he is in the ladder camp that the cold did him in. I think that's the prevailing opinion, but any old timers or anyone listening who has sort of insight to that race, I want to know. My my bet is that he probably just wasn't ready for the cold and that's what lost him the race. But if it really was some wrong turn and that's what denied us the first ever four-time NCAA cross-country champion, I'd be interested to hear it. For my research, John, on the Let's Run forums, I don't think it was the wrong turn. I had never heard of the wrong turn until his death. So I latched onto it immediately. I'm like, oh my God, he would have won four. How did I never hear this? And then people were saying, look... And then they pointed to some articles saying, you know, he, he, a bunch of guys went off. He was with them. They still had the lead, and then he fell apart. Okay, I never saw those articles because I asked for them. I mean, 78 was his best year. Now, I do think Henry feels like he was abused a little bit by having to race too much. Supposedly he didn't like the way Nike treated him. But that was the year that he won all those world records. Now, he, he won 31 races in a row. But at the end of that year, like in September, October, he lost a famous race at Crystal Palace, right? John Kellogg against who? Ovet. 8.13 versus 8.14 in the two miles. So he may have just been tired at the end of the season. But I was like on the forum, like, how do people not know? I tried to look up the 78 track and field news, but that they don't they have like a 15 year gap when they don't have microfilm on it, so it's not online. It is kind of amazing though that that was his world record year. Like, could you imagine that? Like Joshua Chepta guy, the year he was breaking all the world records, he runs the NCAA cross-country championships that year. He finishes 237th in 34-10. All but four guys who finished the race got his scalp. Like, it'd be ready to, let's run, it would be insane, you know? It'd be like Jenny Simpson, except, like, to an even higher degree, what happened to her in 09. It's just wild. Like, everyone who was in that race can say, I beat the, well, everyone except four guys, I'm sorry. Um, can say, I beat the guy who broke four world records this year. And is he the reason I'm a Crystal Palace fan, John? I'd always heard about these famous track meets at Crystal Palace when I first heard Crystal Palace. I thought they were a famous football club. Now I knew I was just predicting the future. So oh, you, you always maintained it was Dwight Gale, and I allowed you to live this fantasy. You thought Dwight Gale was the best forward there ever was. 
I, I told you specifically when I started working for Let's Run, if you're going to adopt an English soccer team, it can be anyone except Crystal Palace, and you just totally ignored me and hopped on their bandwagon either. Yeah, anyway, so. That's false, John. I was already a fan before you came on. You were kind of, you were, that was like the first season you were getting into it, and then I think you found out I was a Brighton fan, you just leaned into it more. Speaking of history, guys, today I went, I did it. I went to the New York Historical Society, took my three-year-old daughter, saw the New York Pioneer Club exhibit. Anyone wants to see it? It ends February 25th. So not a lot of time here. But it's right next to the famous museum with the dinosaurs. Not real dinosaurs. Elephants. It's like a zoo with no live animals. The Natural History Museum? Correct. Right next to each other, pretty much. So, took my daughter, went in with mommy, had breakfast at her work, hit up the Natural History Museum, and then Cece, after about 15 minutes, wants to go home. She's three. And I said, we got to go see track and field. And I'm glad I did. The exhibits, it's really, it's not that big. You can see it in probably 15 minutes. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, th- I thought there was some cool stuff. Like just, I don't know, like you see like artifacts and stuff. Like there was a letter from a guy, assuming this is a white guy who became, you know, on the Pioneer Club. It was one of the first integrated track clubs. And he writes Coach Yancey. And he's essentially apologizing. He's like, I'm so sorry. I have something I've been meaning to bring up, but I uh, just kind of embarrassed. And essentially, he's like, I went to college at A&M. I'm assuming he's saying Texas A&M, but all the Texas universities are, were this way at the time. It's like, they don't allow black people, essentially. He's like, I'm embarrassed. I didn't know that till I got down here. I, I thought I was going more west than southwest. And so here was this guy in this integrated track club and he goes off to college on a, to an all white white college. And he's on this integrated track club at the same time. Um, you know, just a different era for sure. So, so, so far we've come. And then also I, we need to come up with, with a let's run creed. I think the first letter I saw, I assume this is from, well, I'm not sure who, who this is from. It's just, the eighth annual smoker and rally for the pioneer New York pioneer athletic track and field club, May 28th, 1945 just starts off the pioneer creed, the pioneer club, a club of gentlemen and athletes. This does not signify mere outward refinement. It speaks of a refined and noble mind to which nothing dishonorable, mean or impure. Mean or impure is a, is abhorrent and unworthy. Well, some people might disagree with our message boards, but just a reminder, there's more to life than just running fast. It's how you carry yourself. But I just thought this club was cool. You know, like they became integrated. They also had ideals outside of running. Speaking of carrying yourself, is it just okay to say anything somewhat negative about recently departed? I mean, we don't, as a dad, I'm like, what, what did Rono's kids think about him being gone all the time? And then last week I had some comments about Kiptum that we took out of the podcast because I thought it was rude at the time. But 
I do highly recommend that everybody read this guest piece that we have up on the website by Let's Run Visitor Andy Hart about what we've lost with Kipton's passing. He says, when people die, there's three reasons to grieve a death. One, sadness for the individual and their loved ones. Two, loss of time spent with the person. And three, loss of potential. And it's the third that the fans, you know, we don't really know these athletes. We'll never know them personally most of the time. And this article was just exceptional about the potential and what it could have been and et cetera. I mean, at one point he says, Kipton might have won up to four Olympic gold medals, 2024, 2028, 32, and 36, during the last of which he'd be 36 years old. He might have not only broken tails, but run a plethora of 159 two-hour times, representing most or all of the all-time top 10 lists. He might have set a world record that would last for 50 years, the jewel of the sport for decades, the time that all high school runners have memorized. Would he have done all these things? Likely not. But our loss is that we will never know. But then he went on and, and did some great research I mean, if you look at the, there's only been three men that have broken the world record twice in the last 50 years. So, in the marathon we're talking about here. I mean, Derek Clayton did it in 1967 and 1969. But since then, it's Khalid Kanochi, 1999 and 2002. Haile Gebrselassie, 2007-2008. But Everyone's assuming, oh, Kipton definitely would have broken two hours. But as Andy points out, the most that any of those three guys improved their own marathon world record was 30 seconds. So Canucci improved it by four seconds. Gabbos also improved it by 27 seconds. And Canucci improved it by 30 seconds. Well, Kipton's more than 30 seconds away from the two-hour barrier. So... You know, the way he was closing so fast, you kind of think he could do it. But he's closing at 59.45. He's got almost going to average that the whole way. So I had not read this piece until today. I know you guys had edited it, but we got an email to the Let's Run at Let's Run.com email inbox. Somebody was like, just tell that author it was an amazing piece. So that got me to read it. And I was like, dude, unreal piece. But in my email to them, I said, I love the piece. But I'm, I said, I'm not going to lie in the back of my head. I also thought when he was rattling off those things he could have done, I said, he also could have been popped for drugs. Am I saying he's on drugs? No, but I just, like, people think, oh, how can you allow doking talk on Let's Run? I'm like, how can you be a fan of, of track and field over the last 40 years and not think that that's a possibility? So, Last week, I didn't mention it. Well, we did mention it, and we deleted it because out of respect. But I feel almost bad for even mentioning it this week. But it's just the reality of our sport, I think, if you're being honest. Yeah, of course it's a possibility. I'm sure it's something many running, running fans considered. But, yeah, we didn't feel the need to dwell on it last week because of the tragic manner in which he died and, you know, the young age. I think the... Thing. I enjoyed Andy's piece as well. I did think that section about the four Olympic gold medals, a world record that could stand for 50 years, I thought that was a little bit hyperbolic. Like, you know, I was the guy who said, oh, Eli Kipchoge, he's, his record could stand for a generation, you know, and 
it lost. He was the record holder for not even five years. So I feel like if anything sport has shown us, there's going to be someone else that comes along. But, and the, the other thing is the longevity piece. Like I, I would have been fascinated to see what Kipton have done if he had stayed alive, just because we don't see people stay on top of the marathon for like the length of Kipchoge of his reign. You know, that's what one of the many things that makes Kipchoge amazing is not just the times he was running and the races he was winning, but how long he was at the top. Because before him, it was very rare for a marathoner to sustain that level of performance for so long. So would Kiptum have continued to do this through, you know, the LA Olympics? Would he still be on the radar then? Would he have fizzled out? Would it have been popped? Like, no one knows what would have happened um, with him. And... That is one of the many tragedies of this case. Obviously, we've said his family, first and foremost. The nation of Kenya has you know, lost one of the greatest stars and yeah, for running fans. But it would have been fascinating to see what happened. Like That's why I think that's why Andy's piece resonated with me and with, clearly with some readers as well. But he talked about that. He talked about Mutai, Macau, these guys. Normally, it's a one or two year window. Even Wanjuro's window didn't appear to be like it was going to last that long. So we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Robert mentioned you know, the possibility of doping. Obviously, anyone at that, this level, that's a possibility. But Kipton did things like we had never seen before, closing the second half, running these 27-minute 10Ks in the middle of a marathon. And the other really sad thing is like his coach died with this as well. I think his name is Gervais Hakizimama. He's Rwandan. Jervis Hakizimana. Tried to say that that way. Haki Zimama. Haki Zimana. Haki Zimana. There we go. His wife was saying, like, this guy just, him and Kipton were like this. They just talked running all the time. They had all these plans. We'd never heard of this guy, like, you know, six months ago, nine months ago, whatever it was. Because for a while, he said he was self coached. So, like, outside of the, like, Obviously, the tragic loss of life is the other thing, but there's just so many like unknowns here with his career and what he was going to do in Paris. Like he, he just, I mean, he was a true like in terms of the sporting world, like a comet, just shot by and it's gone. Well, yeah, remember what Hakizimana, his coach, was saying after the world record in Chicago. He was sharing. His coach was saying after this is unsustainable. This guy is running too many miles. Saying do hard. He's going to break down if he doesn't adjust his training. So was that that like I was reading the stuff he was doing or what he was claiming he was doing. I'm like, can I, I wasn't even 100% sure if it was real. I don't know. But if that's really what he was doing, I think he probably would have had to slow down or he's going to burn out. Like look at Ryan Hall burned his candle all the way down to the nub. And he got a lot out of it. Like he ran some terrific races, but he was just spent after a couple of years of that. And I wonder if the same thing would have happened to Kelvin Kipton, if that's how he was actually training. I mean, maybe selfishly as running fans, it's a good thing. He sort of ignored his coach's advice short term because there was no tomorrow. I mean, there's something to be said in sports for striking when the iron's hot. So, I mean, Kipton could have thought like, well, Hey, yeah, you want me to keep training, but this is my effing chance, man. I can get the world record, you know, who cares if I'm not running in six years? 
yeah, I think he's got he's got the greatest twelve month stretch of marathons in the history of the sport. Between Valencia, London, and Chicago, three course records, three PBs, and the world record to close it out. So, John, you met him in Valencia, right? I mean, not you at least got to be in the same room as him. I was at all three of his races. The only three marathons he ever ran, I covered them all in person. I interviewed him one on one in London and Chicago. He was still new to this. He like some of these marathoners you talk to him enough and you kind of get to know him and the personality becomes a parent and he was a guy he wasn't he was still getting adjusted to the attention i you know he's pretty he was fairly shy and quiet from my interactions with him and maybe as he spent more time in the public eye we would have seen more of his personality but i can't say i knew the guy very well i just interviewed him a couple times I didn't realize you did all three, John. How many people can say that? You picked the right three races to go to. And because Valencia is in a most people's circuit if they're doing the London and Chicago. Can I defend Ryan Hall for a minute? It's not like he was a flash in the pan. He ran good marathons in over a span of six different seasons. I mean, 2007, I remember waking up in the middle of the morning for his debut taking a screenshot of it for Let's Run because there was an American in the lead at 30K of the London Marathon. Famously destroyed everybody at the Olympic trials that year. Ran 206 the next year, the Olympic year, 2008. 10th in the Olympics. 2009, 4th in New York, 3rd in Boston. 2010, 4th in Boston. 2011, 5th and 4th, Chicago and Boston. And then 2012 was his last decent year. He would get second in the Olympic trials. I wasn't trying to say Ryan Hall had a shoddy career or anything, but he was done by age 30. Like, look at how many marathoners run well deep into their 30s these days. He essentially did nothing in the marathon after his 30th birthday. And again, he did some amazing stuff in his 20s. So this isn't meant as a criticism. But I do think that his approach kind of led to him getting burned out. And We should have him on the podcast. I think it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting guest to talk about. He's coaching some good athletes these days. Uh, Rory Linkletter, actually, who we'll talk about in a second, just qualified in Seville. He's coached by Ryan Hall. But I think you ask most athletes, "Hey, you can have Ryan Hall's career, but from his twenties, and you're not going to do anything in that th- your thirties, they'll probably take it because Ryan Hall was great, like truly great, for you know five to seven years there." All right, let's go to Seville. This was an interesting race for a, for a couple of reasons. One, because you get some really fast times. But also, from an American perspective, this was one of the big remaining races where athletes who don't already have that 208-10 Olympic qualifying standard on the men's side, this was a race that the last few years has produced a lot of people at that mark mark or faster. So I know a bunch of people, myself included, as soon as the Seville results ran in, I wasn't looking at who won. It was Duressa Galetta, by the way, of Ethiopia, 203-27. I was scrolling down. I'm like, all right, who are people from some somewhat, you know, non-marathon power countries who got the time, you know, in this race? And there were a few of them. 
Soldan Hassan, Sweden, 207.36, Swedish record. Rory Linkletter, Canada, 208.01. Phil Sessaman, Great Britain, 208.04. And Carlos Diaz of Chile, 208.04. So that's four guys. Sessaman was actually already ahead of Korea on the world rankings. So Korea entered the Leonard Korea. This is the third place of the U.S. Olympic trials. He needs to be in the top 80 of the Road to Paris list on May 5th. He entered the weekend in 68th. He's now down to 70th. But I was confused by this because I was like, he's going to be down to 71. Sesamon was already ahead of him. There was a Uruguayan guy who initially had said he'd run 206. That, that was a, I think he just popped up by the finish line, but he DNF'd. So there was supposed to be three guys pushing him down. I look at the list. I'm like, why is he 70th instead of 71st? Well, we've got a reader. Carol Fuchs has reached out and said, what, they're only counting two Ethiopians in the standings, I think because one of the guys, one of their fastest guys doesn't have a birth date on his World Athletics profile. So there's some sort of glitch in the road to Paris list. Leonard Courier should actually be 71st, not 70th. So what I'll put to you guys is how are you feeling about his Olympic prospects? He He's still got some wiggle room, but if 10 guys pass him by May 5th, he'll be out. So... I still feel pretty good. This was one of the last ones he had to survive. If like if he was down at like 76 now, I'd be a bit worried. But even with races like London and Prague and Paris and those ones coming up, I don't think any of them are going to be quite as deep with as uh, Seville was. So wh- where do you think about where Leonard Curry stands right now? I'm feeling pretty good. Hell, if I was him, I might just take the money and go run a spring marathon trying to get the time myself. See, moving forward, they've got to let Boston times count. I'm sorry. Like, that's where all the Americans run. He can make a big payday in Boston. Get the time, we wouldn't have to worry about it. But What do you mean, wouldn't have to worry? What American is going to run 208.10 in Boston? When's the last time that happened? Good to tell when. Right, like, yeah, you'd need, I think the last, the last time it happened was probably Ryan Hole in 2011. So you need an amazing talent and a tailwind? I don't think it's gonna. I don't think you can just say, "Oh, let the Boston times count." Boston, you can finish top five, and that will get you the qualifying standard. I think that's more likely than an American running two hundred eight ten there. I think he'll end up running around seventy eight. But as someone from World Athletics pointed to me, there's no guarantee that all eighty enter. Some of them might be sick or injured, one or two. So even if he fell down to like eighty eighty one, he still might get in. That's true, but I do think a lot of people would want to do what, you know, Alphine Tullymark did in 2021 or Des Linden. They just want to start the race and say they're an Olympian. Even if they're not 100%, you know, they know the race might not go badly. A lot of these athletes, if they haven't run an Olympics before, they want to at least say, go there, go to the Olympic Games, start the race. So I don't think you'll get that many scratches, but you might get one or two. He's already probably made up his mind, right? Is he going to go chase the time or not? We should reach out to him. I'm just shocked how all these like random guys who aren't that good. No offense, Roy Linkletter or Philip Sussman are hitting the standard in America. Can't get three guys to do it. Because Americans don't run Seville or Valencia. Those are the two best races to get the standard because they've got consistently good weather and they've got a lot of people. I don't care if you've got like 10 guys trying to run 203. What you really want is like, 15 guys trying to run 207 or 208 and that's what these races have so i'm very confident 
if you took everyone from who ran the Olympic marathon trials on February 3rd and you just said, hey, you're running Seville instead in, your, in that fitness, I think the U.S. would get five guys at 208.10. Uh, not sure how much more it would be than that, but I don't think you'd have any issues having Americans get the standard. The thing is, in the buildup to these races – you're not seeing that many guys go off to like, you know, having a really big concerted effort at the standard. You saw some in Chicago this past fall, which was good conditions. Again, the world record was broken in that race. Scott Farber went for it in Berlin and had fueling issues. But if you've got all these guys showing up and running Seville or Valencia, I don't think it's an issue. The problem is those races don't pay appearance fees to Americans, anything close to what they're going to get in Boston, Chicago, or New York. Speaking of Scott Fobble, I mean, we seem preoccupied about my Noah Lyles prediction may not be coming true, but do I get any credit for saying that Scott Fobble would never be an Olympian, and nor, nor would any of these older women that had never made an Olympic team? I wanted them desperately to make it, but I know that my fountain of youth is not here, nor is theirs. Well, I don't think you get that much credit. That, I mean, okay, you, you did say they're not going to make it, but one, this is a little bit of grave stopping here, like... They, they had that dream squash in Orlando and then you have to come back and two weeks later just gloat about how you were right all along about them not making the team. That's not very classy. Second of all, like, okay, I think D'Amato would have been a favorite to the team, but like Sarah Hall probably wasn't a favorite. She wasn't among my top three, at least, pick, picking, the, picking the race. I did pick Fable in my top three, but, you know, if you look at Let's Run Nation, these athletes may have been outside the top three anyway. So I don't think you can take much of a victory lap, and I think it's kind of poor form to do that. Okay, what's the let's run rule about hyping teenage phenoms that are female? Did I say wait till they're 18 in PRing or 19? I, I want to say 19. I think so. Sounds right to me. 19. Well, I'm going to break my rule because she's almost 19. Talk about Ryan Hall coaching some famous people. Craig Mottram, the former sub-13 runner for Australia, is now coaching in Australia. He's coaching a young 18-year-old woman by the name of Claudia Hollingsworth. Interesting. She'd run 201 in 2021 and then had not PR'd an 800 since then. Ran 202 in 2022, 204 in 2023. She's now run 159.81. That was Thursday in Melbourne. But her 1,500-meter times have been coming down every year. 4.10 in 2022, 4.07 last year, now 4.04. That was five days before. So she's 4.04, 159.8. She would probably be a U American NCAA freshman. She's turning 19 on April 12th. She'd be young for her age. That's normal. You guys have this whacked, like, concept of how old freshmen that's a perfectly normal aged college freshman turning 19 in april but why are why are we caring about this are like tons of people run over four now and right around two minutes in the 19th like it's becoming pretty common well, it's an australian under 20 record i thought it was cool that craig Macham's coaching her and australia also has their under 20 men's 800 meter record fell when this former triathlete Peyton Craig ran 145.41. That's actually a world lead at 18. So I, I think those are both pretty good. 
Well, what I was most impressed with Hollingsworth is who she beat. She beat Abby Caldwell and Catriona Bissett, who were both on Australia's World Championship team last year. And she beat Lyndon Hall, who's the Australian record holder in the 15. So she's already beating the best women in Australia. Now, granted, it's February. They've still got a you know month or so to go until their Olympic trials. But that, to me, is is as impressive as the time. And they're not even the best team in Australia because you've got 17-year-old Cam Myers who ran 333 last year. Speaking of Team Phenoms, I'm assuming from Let'sRun.com podcast baby Niels Laros is not going to roll indoors, John. Do we know? I haven't seen him racing recently, so I'm guessing not, but We'll make the 1500 more interesting if he shows up. Oh, wait, hold on. He, he has raced recently. He ran 147 for 800 in Torun on February 6th, and then a 5K road race in Monaco February 11th, 1326. So maybe we'll see that, him there. Who knows? All right. I want to talk Mokatia. This is a huge doping suspension. I'm kind of shocked. Like, we're an hour and a half into the show. This is a guy who's medaled at the last two world championships, one of the best distance runners in the world, came tenths of a second away from defeating Jakob Ingebrigtsen in the world championship final last year. He's been banned two years for whereabouts failures, and I know it was a few days ago, which is why you know we didn't lead with this, but this is a huge deal because Robert, when he burst onto the scene in 2021, he just made these massive jumps in personal bests, and you were... I think you were fairly suspicious of him. And now, like, Me. do you feel... I think it was you. I, I'm pretty sure you... Rob, Weldon, am I misremembering this? Weldon, my memory is Robert was quite sus- skeptical of Mokatia. John's acting like I'm the only one. Who wasn't suspicious of this guy? Jesus. Well, no, you you were talking about it, though. Like, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people, I think, kind of like, wait, he's making these big improvements and you know okay and i I, what i wanted to say though is like do you feel all this sort of skepticism was justified or is it the fact that it's he gets done for whereabouts as opposed to you know just flat out epo or something how how does it make you feel because i i looked over i mean i read his excuses and stuff and I don't know. There are some whereabouts cases where you're like, well, okay, this guy looks like look, you, you could kind of understand it. His explanation, he's put forward and he's accepted this two-year ban. He's admitted to it. It wasn't like, oh my God, this guy just got screwed and he's totally forgetful, you know, which is kind of what he's claiming. Well, the reason why we didn't talk about it until we're almost done with the podcast is because it came out a long time ago that he'd been popped. He just accepted the suspension last week. So I'm well, no, we've already talked. This actually worked very. The turnaround was very short. Usually, what happens is someone's provisionally suspended, and then they wait a while and actually confirm the suspension, and then there's some sort of response by the athlete tries to take it to CAS. Like Toby Amazon was suspended last summer, and then her suspension was overturned, and now World Athletics is appealing that that case is still ongoing. Mokutia, his suspension was announced. February 9th and a week later, sorry. Yeah. It was February 7th. It was like nine days, I think between the provisional suspension being announced and him accepting the two year ban. I'm not taking a victory lap because I mean, 
I don't even think of it this way. Someone's like, so this means Leo Scrawl was a medalist because he was fourth. So he would have been third. I'm like, no, that's not what it means. He messed the whole race up for everybody. First of all, Grialva was way back in all those races and kicked to fourth. If, if you take Kachir out, people may be kicking differently for the medals. So, I mean, it's amazing to me that Grialva was fourth, but that doesn't mean he would have medaled in these races if, if you take Kachir out. So that's just sad. But, I mean, I think let's run friend Dave Ross. He got in a much publicized... I think it was Twitter spat with Kachir. Instagram. Instagram in the summer. He said something about how Kachir's suspicious. And then Kachir he said, no way Kachir is clean. And then Kachir came with one of the best comebacks in the history of running Instagram, essentially saying, why, you know, why are you mad? And then saying, your wife wants me or something like that. It was like, I mean, it was pretty wild. But then Dave has just been taking a massive victory lap this week because Katia has been suspended. So we don't appreciate the levels of what's run, how connected we are to the top. When we had Henry Rono posting on the forum, Texas Runner Girl, one of the few openly female posters in the early 2000s, is married to Dave Ross. They now have twin children like Walden and me. They're following in our footsteps. Or they are now have twin. I guess Walden and I don't have twin children, but we're twins. But she said, for the record, she's not attracted to Mo Kajir. But anyways, Dave texted me and said, I've been around this sport a hell of a long time and seen and heard a lot of things. But when someone goes from 1350 to 1250, from 336 to 328, and they're from a country with a history that's notorious for doping, it just made it too obvious to call. Now, some people will say that's not fair. When he's saying a country notorious for doping, I don't know if he means Spain or his country of birth, Morocco, or both, ironically. But look. Dave proven right. Well, we don't know he's actually doping, but Dave's comments I still think were inappropriate. I don't like when people on the boards. You don't know anyone's doping. That way, it's you're speculating. Keep it that. How well people love to do that on Let's Run a lot, but you're also you're stating your opinion as fact. You're not a human. Doping test with perfect knowledge. Dave would say, I knew, man. And it's shocking to me how much for censorship Walden has become in the last three or four months for some reason. Look, you shouldn't say someone's a doper. You should say, I think they're a doper if you're willing to do that and not be sued. But since the Nikki Haley here, who wanted hasn't Robert suggested that people be required to register to post? I mean, Robert loves to talk out of both sides of his mouth. Oh, you can't see. I know he is the most obvious doper of all time. You don't say that about someone without knowing it. That's slander. You can say, I, you, if you want to, you can say, I think they're doping, but that's a different thing. You say, I know he, they're doping. They're a doper, 100% fact. I, I think if you say that, you should get sued. I agree with you, and I do play it both ways because I found myself with John. John was writing this article about how he, this is his excuses were flimsy. And I was pushing back. I'm like, John, I actually believe the second excuse. So I do like to play both sides of the coin. Look, we wasted too much time on it. People cheat in all works of life. I, do I think he was cheating intentionally? Most likely I do, yeah. But he didn't test positive. He's got to worry about his failure, and we'll see what happens in two years. To me, personally, 
there shouldn't even be three missed tests. It should be two and you're gone. But there should be like, and this is kind of police state. 24-7, your cell phone is beaming your location to the water. I mean, if that... I feel like if you're in, if you're sitting on two missed tests and you really want to prove to everyone, that should be an option available to athletes. Doesn't mean they all have to take it, but it can kind of like his claim for this third missed test is, oh, I thought my window was set to the morning, but it was actually set to the evening, which is when I regularly practice. It's like, okay, so you have, you know, one more whereabouts failure will trigger a two year ban and you're setting your whereabouts incorrectly and you're going out to practice and that sort of like that to me is like either you were extraordinarily forgetful and totally recklessly careless or you're actually just trying to avoid being tested and i don't know uh i'm inclined to believe the latter but yeah he never tested positive so you i can't i can't say with certainty I'd love to see a published list every year of who missed tests. And I'd love to know, like, what what percent of people you think sitting on miss two two missed tests are just dirty as hell? I bet it's over fifty percent. Although I, I do think there's a lot of young irresponsible people. But if you're good enough to be in a testing pool, wouldn't you be taking it kind of seriously? Yeah, I mean, my my eyebrow raises when you get two missed tests, but people also know it that the rule is three. One one missed test. I think anyone I'm willing to accept. Like these are athletes that you know you you could screw up once. But okay, one final thing I wanted to discuss. This is our thread of the week. I love this thread, and I tweeted it out to get more eyeballs on it because I thought it was fascinating. The title of the thread is this: Could you beat a random American in a one mile race with your life on the line? And here's the conceit of the thread. A random American is selected. It could be anyone from your gran to Grant Fisher. Whoever it is, you must race them in a mile on the track. If you beat them, you get $1 million. If you lose, you die. Do you take the challenge? I was like, I was thinking about this. Like, my odds are good. I have to think if I get drawn against anyone in America, I've got like a 99% chance of winning. Like, the only people who are beating me are college kids, like college male distance runners, some very good high schoolers, some guys who, like me, kind of washed up or like weekend warriors, and then like some really elite women. But there aren't that, like, that's got to be much less than 1% of the population. But at the same time, like, is $1 million enough of a reward for me no. to beat those odds? I don't think it is. I think if it's like, if it's up to $10 million, now you've got my attention. Like, all right, that could really improve my quality of life drastically. And I've got like 99% odds of not dying. But I ask you guys, do you, ex- also you being a little slower at this point in your life than I am, do you accept the challenge? And if not, what is the number that gets you to accept the challenge? You guys are also fathers, so you've got more to lose in this situation. Oh, my age was just a non-starter. I'm not doing it. But hey, I got less to live. If I could get faster. I mean, how many Americans can run under like a six-minute mile even? I'd say just less than – I'd say like less than 1%. Or is it – yeah, probably probably less than 1%, right? 
Yeah, even if you're like a four thirty or versus like four minute guy, it really doesn't make much difference, does it? I have a few questions. Is the person I'm racing also executed if they lose to me? Because, like, if I'm going against a random Joe and their wife's on the line, they may not try that hard. No, no, no. This I I okay. The original post didn't come with these conditions, but I'm not. I'm saying no collusion, nothing like this. This other person, no, no collusion. They're going all out here. They're, they're going all out. They, they might not die, but they're going all out. No, I mean, God, the odds of me beating, winning that race have got to be only like maximum seventy five percent. Don't you think twenty five percent of the people can run like a six fifty mile? For their super shoes. Is it? Am I wrong on this one percent? How many people can go sub sixty? There's, there's no amount of money, not with a six year old child. A billion dollars? I mean, what's he really going to do? Billion dollars? I, I still can't even buy a goddamn sports team. Like John, okay, this is the question. With ten million dollars, what are you doing? What are you going to do? What's changing about your life? Well, I move into a nicer apartment or I buy a house. Um, I can travel more i can go i can weekly trips over the pond to go see brighton or i get a you know maybe i get a second house in brighton or something like that and you know i get season tickets to the patriots or something like 10 million dollars there's a lot i could do with 10 million dollars i can invest it i can be set like i don't have to work any well what i wait home i should probably keep working if i have 10 million dollars but i could kind of ensure that my future is very good and future kids are taken care of like that's a very nice nest egg to start with John, you can get a Vision Pro to watch the sports events, 3500 And then you're not going to keep that $10 million for long. I mean, the upgrade in your dating life, I mean, she, she, the hottie probably produce a kid or two, but then she's going to take half. <laughs> oh, my God. You don't have faith in me to keep a woman. Oh. <laughs> Taxes take another half. You're down to $2.5 million. It's not even what worth it. What do you mean taxes? I'm, I'm not saying this is tax-free $10 million. That's what I'm saying. Okay. I, I didn't say I'd do it for ten million. I do like living, and I have it. I like my life quite a lot. But I, I, I you saying? Oh, you're odd, I could get a, like yeah. a ninety-nine or ninety-nine point five percent chance of getting like ten million dollars. Those are pretty good odds, right? Yeah. So I think about it, but I, I really am not a fan of this whole dying thing. So. By the way, if you're living in Scotland and you're worth ten million or more, give me a call, eight four four. What's wrong? Eight four four five three eight seven seven eight six. Take you out coffee, learn about Scottish culture. John might just happen to be there unknowingly. All right, well, I think that's the signal that this podcast needs to come to a close. We're closing in on ten thirty. I didn't I didn't you know what I'll do this for uh for World Indoors one of the nights we'll do a live show and I need to get some good Scottish beer. I don't really know any good Scottish beer. The only the only Scottish beverage I know is Iron Brew. I don't even know if I'm spelling that correctly, but I think that's the big thing they drink there. So we'll we'll have to do that, and maybe I'll get a little zania with some of my takes, but this was somewhat reined in. I wasn't drinking Midori like Robert. Speaking of Scottish, where's the fake Josh Kerr? You think you'd be getting ready for indoors? I'm going to put a call out. If you're listening to this podcast, Fake Josh Kerr, we need an update and we need to know if the Fake Josh Kerr will be in Glasgow cheering on the real Josh Kerr at World Indoors because if so, we'd love to meet you. So putting out the back signal for Fake Josh Kerr. And we'll buy you a beer. He's a member of the Let's Run.com supporters club. So it's on us.
Okay, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And we will be back later this week. We could have, we have a pretty special guest, I think, lined up. Should be in the works. Should be able to drop that interview either at the end of this week or next week. I think you guys are going to enjoy someone who might be competing at the Olympic Games this summer in Paris. Uh, and we'll have our Friday 15 as well for you as usual. So join the supporters club to get access to the Friday 15. Let's run.com slash subscribe. See you guys on Friday.